leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work. And dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration. But effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning Team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization. Welcome back to another episode of Leading Collaborative Response. I'm joined again by my colleagues, Colette Sylvester and Marilyn Schmitke. Hello, ladies. Hello, Jan. Hi, Jan. Grateful for the experience that you have shared around preparing for collaborative team meetings. And I know that our audience is going to be very interested in our topic today about the art of facilitating those collaborative team meetings. But before we get into that, I want to do a bit of a plug because I know you two ladies are leading some webinars through Jigsaw Learning um, specific to these topics where people can get a little bit more in depth. So for anyone who is interested, they can visit jigsawlearning.ca. And if you have not already registered for these webinars, you can access them through the Collaborative Response Membership. So now that I've done my shame, shameless plug for you two ladies, because <laughs> I believe in the work that you do and you are fantastic in honoring the context that people come to you around these collaborative team meetings. Let's start with the topic of facing the reality of facilitating a collaborative team meeting. We know in theory what should happen, <laughs> but that's not always how it goes. So Colette, I think you were gonna take this idea. Tell us your thoughts around the art of this. For sure. You know, I think one of the important things is starting from that place where you take the work from a whole staff um, and staff meetings or a collective effort amongst the team uh, within the school, uh, creating norms, for example, that's something that's done with everyone together and you establish those norms across the board. Um, so that every collaborative team meeting that's happening within the school has the same norms established and the, the groups don't have different things going on in them. So that's something um, that's important to, to do together as a staff. I think the other one that's really important is really working together as a leadership team and then with your whole staff on the purpose, the expectations, um, and that criteria for uh, reviewing norms at the start of every meeting so that that is an expectation that um, comes from the leadership team so that um, the norms don't get swept under the rug because that is something that goes from theory to practice. It's the first thing to get dropped. <laughs> and then when the meetings kind of derail, um, people will think, oh, we got to revisit those norms. And so when it's established that it actually is important um, and something that's done together, I think that's uh, really impactful. And then continuing to honor them as time goes on, you might refine them as a team, you know, six months into the, the process, but that everyone is on the same page with norms. Yeah. And if I could jump in there too, and, you know, I initially thought, norms why do we have to do these things we're, we're a cohesive team you know we know how to interact with one another but 
we delved into, you know, into the, the practice of norms. And I was pleasantly surprised that I didn't realize what an impact that actually has on culture. So the norms go far beyond just the meeting at hand. And call that when you talk about reviewing those norms at the beginning of a meeting, absolutely co-constructed. But I also like that question where, you know, I might say, pick a norm that you personally want to focus in on today. Because I might come to that meeting in a different headspace than my, my counterparts. And there might be a norm that really um, resonates for me that particular day. And then I like to pose that question, what do you need to pay attention to within yourself today to help support those norms for the team? And I feel just that piece of self-reflection is far more impactful than me reading through the norms thinking, yeah, I like those norms because that's what upsets me about everybody else's behavior <laughs> when I'm participating in a meeting. I get to reflect on what I need to bring to the table. I agree with you, Marilyn. And when I, um, you know, the, the research of behind norms actually comes from the corporate world. So the, the most effective corporate structures like Google, um, when they started digging around for what made them most successful, one of the things that they do is have norms at the start of their meeting. And it's a way to have everybody kind of check the laundry list of the 14 million things that you have to do at the door and reframe your purpose for being together for that meeting. And I, I love it because of that. You also referenced the agenda and, or you referenced, um, you know, all of those things that you need to concentrate on when you're in a collaborative team meeting. And it made me think about the importance of having a well-structured agenda. That it's true. I mean, when we're trying to facilitate a collaborative team meeting and we're going from theory to practice, there are all of those balls in the air that we're trying to juggle. What comes next in the agenda? You know, who's fulfilling what role? How do I help support them? How do I be authentic in the conversation as I'm trying to juggle all of these other pieces? And I think it really comes back to, you're right, the norms and to having that really well-constructed agenda. Marilyn, you've brought up the agenda and I think that leads really well into the next part of the conversation. So. Knowing what I know about collaborative team meetings and having worked through the software to build those <clears throat> structures and processes in place to ensure that those meetings have that integrity, right? It pops up with the norms. What are we going to focus on today? It pops up with the celebrations. Then it pops up with the board so that we can talk about the kids. Having been through some very initial collaborative team meetings, some of the feedback from staff is it's too robotic. It's too structured it's too tight. It's, it's just awkward. awkward. There's the <laughs> word I'm looking for. <laughs> yes. How do we acknowledge that it, it starts that way and transforms into what we know can exist after time? Because we've seen some very productive collaborative team meetings as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, first of all, it's new. We don't typically come together or historically come together to talk about tier two supports in that way. 
we're used to having discussions over staff meetings over the lunch hour during <laughs> during break yeah, yeah yeah whatever it might be so it's it's a new way of operating so of course it feels a little stilted um but you just have to i think trust the processes and understand why those structures are in place and once you've gone through that flow a couple of times and you come to understand oh this time that we have is actually really limited if we do it in this manner we can actually affect change for so many of our kids and when we harvest that collective wisdom of the team it's really incentive to just stick to the process until it, it becomes really quite yeah second nature I agree with you Marilyn and I think that one of the things I've seen is when you've um, you know, watched as many collaborative team meetings as I as I have uh, and participated in them, one of the things that happens is the, the relationships and the comfort with the structure in the meeting um, becomes secondary to the relationships um, that the teachers have with each other. And so they sort of seamlessly move through this really tight, efficient meeting um, that, yeah, accomplishes a whole bunch of things, but then all that's left is, are these powerful um, brainstorming sessions where teachers leave with actionable things that they can go and try with, with kids that, you know, ultimately builds the capacity for everybody. Well, and I don't know about you, Colette, but I mean, I've watched a number of those collaborative team meetings as well. <laughs> and I would say where the facilitator is feeling calm and relaxed, that meeting is incredibly smooth. And you wouldn't see that stiltedness, even though it might feel that way for the facilitator. If you're able, again, just to follow that agenda, and it flows naturally. So I, I think it takes away those worries of it being stilted. I agree. I think the agenda is actually the what makes it become easy. To, to go through the flow of the meeting. Yeah. One of the items we identify on the agenda is a focus for the meeting. And we talked a little bit about this in preparing for collaborative team meetings, but when we come to facilitating the collaborative team meeting and the art that it is, how does the focus inform the meeting? Well, I think that, you know, when you've established a focus um, with your staff collectively uh, when you're looking at data together. So that might come from that place of the uh, collaborative planning meeting or PLC or, or department meetings. Um, and then, you know, when you're looking at what assessments you're going to be using, how it aligns with your school focus and your school goals, um, I think that that is how you determine what your focus is. So pre-establishing that focus for your meetings um, really helps the facilitator, the leadership teams in the school um, establish that focus for the year. So whether you're alternating through, and I think there's always going to be some, some flexibility on what you're gonna be focusing on for your meetings. You might have a schedule of, you know, we're going to focus on these things at, um, at different times throughout the year based on your assessment schedules. Um, 
and that that might shift as you're looking at what the needs of the students are. So um, there's some flexibility in there, but I think determining it from that assessment schedule that's pre-done within your school uh, is, is that starting place for your focus. Yeah. And I would say too, without that focus, I, I think that it's easy to lose sight of the conversation and move into or digress into what is comfortable. And that's not necessarily where we want those conversations to go. So in directing those conversations, we're again looking at the art of facilitating the collaborative team meeting, not the art of facilitating and recording and bringing the <laughs> continuous supports to the table and, and, and. <laughs> yeah. So how does the facilitator honor the rules that are needed for an effective collaborative team meeting? Some of the most effective meetings that I've seen and participated in have been where those rules are reviewed at the beginning of the conversation, just so it's, it serves as that reminder that if I'm the timekeeper or I'm an interrupter, my role is not to be disrespectful, but my role is to help in the efficiency of that meeting. So I, I think that's one way that we can definitely support that. And one other space that I see where there's opportunity to build that capacity and the sustainability of the collaborative team meetings is for the facilitator to even be able to include the role maybe of a co-facilitator who can kind of help support and integrate some of the other roles because you're right, it's difficult as a single facilitator to be able to juggle all of those pieces and help support folks in their roles as well. So yeah, the role of that co-facilitator might be there to help support those people within their roles. I know one thing I wanna add is, I think often um, facilitators or you know, your, your leadership team will think, oh, I'm going to do everyone a favor by taking all of these roles on myself uh, to make it easier and take the burden off staff who might not have been um, excited about participating in a collaborative team meeting. So they think they're doing everyone a favor by taking on all of the roles. Um, and what happens is that, you know, those octopus arms <laughs> are going to drop key important pieces throughout the meeting and not do a great job of facilitating the meeting. And so to honor the idea of that distributed leadership where you have all of these different roles and that the purpose of, you know, divvying out the responsibilities is to have a, I want to say a really strong meeting, but also have people understand the importance of all the roles so that maybe as time goes on, you have different people facilitating or co-facilitating. And let's face it, there are some roles that lend themselves to people volunteering. I mean, timekeeper, notekeeper, typically, you know, it's, it's not too difficult to get somebody to volunteer for that. But, you know, even a role of a, a potential co-facilitator could be that, you know, in this meeting, I'm modeling the role of, of a moderator, or I'm going to model what it looks like to be an interrupter. 
so that we're making that a little more welcoming for somebody else to say, you know what, I think I could actually do that. It's not so daunting. So the facilitator is not an octopus. The facilitator is also not a judge. Now we've talked about this amongst ourselves, but can you elaborate on that concept for our audience? I love that you brought this up. The other day I was talking with an administrator who said, I feel there's such a fine line between, you know, I ask my staff to fill out their pre-meeting organizer and bring it to the conversation. And this person said, you know, sometimes I, I look at that and think, uh, you're a little bit off the mark, that that's not necessarily the pieces that we want to bring to the conversation. But it's that fine line of, you know, thanks for filling out the document, but you did it wrong. <laughs> so, so I still want to honor that, but guide the conversation in the direction that it, it's intended to go. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I think the point is that when a facilitator acts as a judge and um, says something to the person who's um, talked about their celebration or what their key issue is, it can actually work against the um, building of vulnerability and trust on the team. Because if people think that they bring their celebration forward and it's going to be um, you know, told that, no, no, that's not a celebration. Um, or no, you, why did you do that? Or, or ask questions about the, um, celebration itself or the, the key issue. I think what happens is that person is more likely to shut down and not be excited about bringing something forward next time. So I don't, I don't know if I'm saying this properly, but, but the idea that as facilitator, you can paraphrase you can question, um, you can restate things in a way that maybe the whole group understands a little bit better. Uh, I like when I see facilitators asking questions like, it sounds like the key issue is this, does everyone agree that that's what it is? And then you sort of have this collective buy-in from your team, as opposed to uh, the person that feels like they've just been reprimanded by celebrating or bringing something forward that wasn't quite right. I think it also ties back into the norms. And I have this question a lot, you know, hey, we're, we're struggling with this particular issue in our collaborative team meetings. It is, it is more than okay as a team to come back to the norms and to say, what are some of the roadblocks or some of the tendencies that we have as a team? Well, you know, in my experience with my team, we love to get off track and tell stories. We called it out. And then we look back at the norms. Do we have a norm that supports our tendencies as a team? Yes. And we, you know, we even called out, okay, what about those times where we get sarcastic? What does that look like if we have a new teacher on staff? What does that look like if that sarcasm really doesn't land? What is the end result? And it's so important to call that out, to talk it through, and to just not have those norms as that laundry list. What is the underlying purpose of each of those norms? We spent that time creating them together. 
So let's spend some time digging deeper into the um, the moral, um, what's the word, imperative of each of those norms. So as we come back to that notion of facilitator and not judge, quite often the facilitator is the school leader. And it's that fine line between being part of instructional leadership and that supervision hat and understanding that there's a time and place to have this conversation versus this conversation. Yes. So you talk about words to, to redirect. What are some things that you have seen or used yourselves in terms of redirecting conversations as a facilitator in order to manage an effective meeting? When I, when I think about the sounds like, uh, and that, that ability to paraphrase and restate what a key issue is for the group can kind of focus everyone in without any judgment per se. It sounds like the key issue might be this. Um, and with storytelling, I've seen uh, some really effective strategies like, you know, I really want to honor uh, this student's needs and make sure that they have the the time to go in depth into to what's going on for them. So I think this is something that I'm going to take on as a referral to uh, a student uh, learning team, your SLT meeting, um, because I think if we interrupt people and say, you know, you're going on and on and on and, and we can't do that right now. I think if we do something as simple as, I wanna give this child the time, the conversation, needs and we're going to do this at another level of meeting and to be able to acknowledge too the concern that they bring forward so i might say you're absolutely right that is that is a huge challenge but for this conversation let's focus back on whatever it might be the topic at hand one of the most frequently asked questions i've heard you talk about in your roles with consultations and feedback around collaborative team meetings is how do we get into those deeper conversations? How do we get away from the surface level and the storytelling and whatnot? So what thoughts do you have around that? Well, I, I feel this is a bigger question. I believe that sometimes when we digress, sometimes that's a flag for me as an administrator that maybe we're digressing because we're not comfortable with this topic. Maybe we're feeling that, you know what, I don't necessarily have those tools in my toolkit to be able to address some of those needs. So sometimes it, you have to stop and, and maybe not go to that immediate space of being frustrated with the conversation, but recognize that, you know what, maybe this is an area for some professional learning for this particular team. Well, extending out of that, you know, getting away from the, the surface conversation and the storytelling is really, uh, Marilyn, I've heard you say this and Colette, I've heard you say this from your own experience, getting to that action planning and getting staff to take on the ideas that they have for supporting students. So how do you, ensure that all the work from a collaborative team meeting doesn't come back to the facilitator or 
the next layer of team. I think that a lot of it comes down to refining the key issues, mm-hmm. and making sure that um, we are identifying what those key issues are accurately, as opposed to sometimes when we're first starting out with collaborative team meetings, those key issues uh, are behaviors. So they're the what we're seeing as opposed to the root cause of what's going on for a student. So when we ensure that we're going into those root causes, I think it allows for us to go deeper and um, get into some, some really authentic conversations about strategies and interventions and supports that we can put in place for students uh, as opposed to um, getting into this cyclical spiral. And so when you get into this spiral of uh, things like when people bring up the key issue as attendance, well, that's a behavior. So what's going on for a child that's not getting them to school? So digging in a little bit and refining key issues, I think is one of the most important pieces there. I agree. And then to follow up, once you've had that brainstorming, excuse me, what are each of the team members taking away as action items versus, you know, the, the statement or the question, does everybody have an action to take away? Okay, great. We move on. It's Colette, what action have you identified? Jen, what action have you identified? And I I think it's important to, to make sure that we're not taking on three or four items (laughs) Um, that one actionable item to take away and try is really what you you want to be making sure you're doing as a facilitator um, is to ensure that each person has that one actionable item if you start having people take on three or four it's going to be really difficult to follow up um, and really easy for people to become overwhelmed if they think wow, I, I left the meeting and I have 12 actionable mm-hmm. things to take on. Well, ladies, before I let you get back to what you need to do, mm-hmm. any final thoughts about the art of facilitating collaborative team meetings? There's a science to the structure, mm-hmm. the psychology of how those collaborative team meetings set are set up, but the facilitation, art. Any mm-hmm. final thoughts? Give yourself time and space and experience. It, it, it's new. It, it's a new way of coming together to talk about supports for kids. And it's not going to be perfect out of the gate. So allow yourself that space. I think it's okay to let your team know that, hey, this is new for all of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take those um, steps into showing some vulnerability as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, as a facilitator, because you you give your staff some safety, but you also give yourself some some uh, freedom to make mistakes when you go through the meeting. Uh, you can have debrief conversations, um, and and that reflective practice comes into play where you can get together with your whole school team then uh, and have maybe a ten minute conversation as a staff on what do you think has gone well and. Um, that reflection piece is, is huge in the growth of the meeting success. I always appreciate your time because I know mm-hmm. it takes away from the time you would prefer to be spending with partners. So thank you for taking that. 
you've identified some obstacles, some things that may come up through the course of facilitating a collaborative team meeting. So I'm really looking forward to our next conversation where we talk about the common pitfalls of collaborative team meetings, where we can elaborate on some of those ideas. See you then. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In Collaborative Response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. Colette and Marilyn have a great deal of experience with collaborative team meetings and the art of facilitating them, both in their roles in the schools that they had, as well as through providing feedback to our partners. Three things stand out for me in the conversations that they shared. The first one is around the role of facilitator. That role is an independent role that is generally taken on by a leader who should not despite their best intentions, take on all of the other roles that are needed for an effective collaborative team meeting. Because in doing so, they will not be able to do any of those roles well. So the facilitator is creating an experience where capacity is being built through the distributed leadership of roles. And that until the structure of those meetings is understood, should maintain that position of facilitating those meetings. The second thing that stood out for me is the vulnerability that is required of a facilitator when first implementing collaborative team meetings. Recognizing that the process is new and the reason for coming together in this fashion with this intention is all new. The ability to express that we are all learning at this time is a vulnerability. The moment to take pause to review the intention of the next step in the agenda, either individually or with the whole staff at that time, allows for a safe space to be developed so that staff can bring forward their vulnerabilities when they bring up those key issues in a place where it's been modeled by the facilitator, again, that we are all learning. The third thing for me that stands out is the norms. Curtis has talked about norms. Marilyn talked about norms. Colette has talked about norms. Those norms are a driver of the effectiveness of those meetings. They're not a one-time created event, and we assume that everyone knows them. We come back, we revisit them at every meeting, either individually by explicitly stating this is the one our team is going to practice, or by allowing for that reflective process for staff to say, this is the norm I'm going to work on today, and I'm going to do this in order to make that happen. Marilyn and Colette both talked about that reflective process. So the norms cannot be undervalued. 
For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity in leading collaborative response in your context.